You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured on allhabs.net brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, with your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind-the-scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and entertained. My name is Joseph Whalen, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is episode 138 of the Canadians Connection podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined in studio by my co-host, the editor-in-chief, the founder, the president of Rocket Sports Media, Mr. Rick Stevens. Rick, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing great. I was kind of excited to get here today to the studio. Yeah. In fact, in our Slack group, I posted a little uh, yes of us rushing Batman. to the studio. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Batman and Robin, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great comparison. <laughs> there's, there's, uh, there's the big Canadians Leafs game tonight. But there's yeah. other so much other uh, action going on. Uh, all the other action in the NHL is uh, we have our round two. Um, uh, uh, teams already known. Uh, yeah. This is the only series that um, that we don't know who's going to go on to round two. Uh, but it's just an exciting time of year. It absolutely is. And Rick, in, in the uh, NBA, last night was a phenomenal game. There was a phenomenal game between the LA Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. And Rick, stop me if you've heard this one before, uh-huh. but a great individual performance without much support fell short in oh, the end, no. unfortunately, for one Luka Doncic, who had 44 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. Luka was everything for the Dallas Mavericks. Unfortunately, they fell short in the end. But Rick, well, you this don't is have to, to say, tell me because Luka. Yeah, I know and, you were watching the yeah, game. I know sure. you're a big Luka Doncic fan. Absolutely. Uh, but Rick, this is to say uh, it's playoff time in the NBA and the NHL, as we just talked about. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part, it's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app, you go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games, 
and then track your results throughout the evening. Exactly. And questions ranging from which team is going to hit the most threes to which team will score first, things like that. Now, listen, if, if basketball NBA isn't your thing, and I can't imagine why it wouldn't be, um, yeah. there's, there's NHL action. There's all sorts of action for you on DraftKings. And I just have to say DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the NBA basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. So Rick, THPN. Our dear friends of the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, and um, I should say, uh, I think I talked about it last week. I was, uh, it was fun. I, I had uh, a chance to sit down for a couple of hours and and talk with uh, former Canadian first round pick Terry Ryan. Yeah. Um, and it's part of the DraftKings um, uh, Dynasty by Decade series of podcasts. Um, and one of those just came out on the Hockey Podcast Network. Go to hockeypodcastnetwork.com. And, uh, and you can find a Dynasty by Decade podcast uh, batting leadoff uh, uh, for the 1960s was the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that podcast by uh, Jim Taddy, uh, mm-hmm. who we all remember. Um, and uh, yes, so, so coming out, uh, I believe it's next week, is uh, Terry Ryan and I talking about the 1970s. And of course, that was... Uh, the great decade for the Montreal Canadiens winning six cups. And and you can hear uh, Terry and I uh, talking about that and highlighting uh, two of the seasons of uh, Montreal Canadiens winning Stanley Cups. Absolutely. So you don't want to miss that. That'll be a a fascinating listen. So, uh, Rick, we should get to what we are going to talk about during this show. So Mm -hmm. coming up in the second segment, we are going to have a discussion about how the Montreal Canadiens measure up uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, thus far in the series after five games. How have things looked for the Montreal Canadiens? Going to look at every aspect, goaltending, forwards, defense, special teams, coaching. We're going to go down the line and, and give an uh, evaluation of how the Canadians have measured up to this point to a team who some think uh, could be a contender this year, could make it a little bit deeper in the playoffs, uh, maybe towards the Stanley Cup. So, now, we'll Habs see how. Fans uh, don't think that. Yeah, Habs fans don't think that, no. but <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, we'll have that conversation in segment number two and segment three. Uh, we're going to talk about some superstitions, some uh, playoff rituals as well. We're going to get to that in segment number three. And you notice uh, but, I'm looking a little yeah. different than I, I look. Yeah, a little week. bit, a little bit different. Uh, I, I guess we'll get to that in segment three. We'll leave that. Yeah. Put a pin in that, and All we'll right. come back to it. All right. <laughs> so, Rick, we'll start with the uh, week of game action for the Montreal Canadiens. Of course, they played four games this week, all against the same team because it's the playoffs, and that's what you do in the playoffs. So, uh, game two of the series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Jesperi Kotkaniemi drew back into the lineup. That was the point of discussion that we had last week, that he was going to be in. Jake Evans was out, and Jesperi Kotkaniemi made an immediate impact, scoring the first goal of the game. Unfortunately, the Leafs then scored five unanswered goals, including two power play goals, which 
a little bit concerning considering the conversation that surrounded the Leafs power play for the last number of weeks has been they haven't really been putting up a whole lot of goals. So you're worried if you might have awoken the sleeping giant type of thing. Uh, but yeah, two power play goals and the Leafs dominant in the victory. Uh, and you sort of expected that in game two after the Canadians stole game one. You move to game three. The series shifts back to Montreal. Carey Price, incredible save on Jason Spezza. Incredible all night long. He did everything that he could. The team only mustered up one goal in support. It is a very familiar story that we have heard many, many times. The Montreal Canadiens lose that one 2-1. to one. So then you go into game four and the Canadians lose that one for nothing. Alex Galchenyuk with three points as the Leafs dominated the Canadians. A lot of odd man rushes, cross crease opportunities, no chance for Carey Price on any of them. Then you go to game five. The Canadians opened up a three goal lead on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Two goals from UL Armia. They open up a three goal lead. You're thinking, hey, they're looking pretty good. Then the Leafs claw back and tie the game, send it to overtime, and you're thinking, okay, this is probably not going to end well for the Montreal Canadiens. And then Cole Caulfield picks off a pass from Alex Galchenyuk, and he and Nick Suzuki go in all alone on Jack Campbell, 2-on-0, the exact two guys I think you'd like to see on a 2-on-0 if you're the Montreal Canadiens. And yeah, they made it. Uh, they made Galchenyuk pay for that error. And 4-3 was the final score. So the Montreal Canadiens trail in the series by a game, but they extended the series to a sixth game, which will go tonight. Uh, So, Rick, it'll be interesting to see. Last year, the Montreal Canadiens in the bubble against the Philadelphia Flyers. They lost in six games. Will that happen again this year? Well, um, we'll see, and and we'll see. <laughs> uh, uh, the Canadians uh, certainly hope that doesn't happen. They they had a great start to Game Five, and uh, that's exactly what they'll need again tonight uh, at home, um, in uh, in in Game Six. Yeah, three is that magical number. You get more than three goals for Carey Price, and and you might win some games. Isn't that funny how that works? Uh, so Rick, we should say that if you want any more comprehensive post-game reviews for the games that we just discussed, they're over at allhabs.net crafted by the one and only Rick Stevens. So if you want to go check those out, get some quotes, numbers, statistics from those, from those games, as well as Rick's general thoughts on how it all went down, head over to allhabs.net and give them a read. And, uh, Rick, I did my weekly column, the three stars of the week, following game two last week. And uh, coming out of that, uh, coming out of those two games, there was really only one guy that I could give it to, and it was Carey Price, because Carey Price stole game one. And he was the reason that a debilitating game two loss wasn't even more debilitating, because 5-1 was bad enough it could have been much worse than that. It could have been seven, perhaps eight, if it was not for Carey Price. He was fantastic. He did everything that he could possibly do to keep Montreal and has done everything that he possibly can do to keep them within range in this series, to give them an opportunity to win games that, quite frankly, they they have no business being in. I mean, you look at some of the chances, even in, in last uh, last game, game five, he gave up three goals, but there was that point-blank opportunity on, on William Nylander, right? Like, he's done everything you could possibly hope from your franchise goaltender. He's made ridiculous saves, like on Jason Spezza. He's done it over and over and over again. 
And the Canadians simply, as I touched on in this article uh, in the column last week, they just haven't given him enough support. They haven't given him goal support. They haven't played well enough defensively in front of him in game four. Like how many cross crease, three cross crease opportunities, right? That just cannot happen. You know, so it was just, it's hard to win when you're giving up those type of opportunities. So Carey Price last week was the only choice for my first star of the week. Josh Anderson was my second, Paul Byron my third, but Carey Price was head and shoulders above the rest. So this Sunday, make sure you go to allhabs.net to uh, uh, look for uh, Joseph's uh, three stars once again. Um, We're also going to have... on Monday, then there's uh, uh, the Habs notepad from Chris yeah. G. And, of course, as long as we have games going on, we'll have uh, game previews. Uh, Sam Gerber joins me in putting those together and uh, uh, the game recaps that you've mentioned. Absolutely. And you don't want to miss any of it. Head over to allhabs.net to find all of it. Um, so, Rick, we will move on to some roster news, some injury updates that are currently uh, we're currently monitoring how they're unfolding. And uh, Jake Evans, uh, he is he practiced today with the team. He left the ice with the guys that will presumably be playing tonight. So that is an update on Jake Evans. He seems to be on the sort of road to recovery, a game-time decision tonight. He wasn't one of those guys that uh, stay extra. Uh, and yeah. and uh, he, he practiced, uh, as you said, with the team. Um, Dominic Ducharme wasn't ready to commit that he would be in the lineup tonight. Uh, but I think there's, he'll be a game time decision, but there's a pretty good chance that he'll, he'll slot in tonight. Yeah. And on, on the other end of the spectrum, Arturi Lekkanen, uh, he practiced by himself in Broussard. So there's, there's that as well. So, um, yeah, another guy that unfortunately, yeah, uh, the Canadians lost Evans and Lekkanen in and about the same time, and those are two guys that were playing so well at the end of the season. So unfortunate to see uh, Lekkanen out of action. And we heard a, a new injury this morning, and yeah. that was uh, of defenseman John Merrill, uh, who will be out a week or two uh, and won't be in the lineup tonight, uh, which gives an opportunity. Um, you know, Canadians fans have been waiting to see uh, the guy who played 54 games for uh, the Canadians on defense. Mm-hmm. And so tell us, please, Joseph, tell us that Alexander Romanov will be in the lineup tonight. Alexander Romanov will not be in the lineup tonight. Oh, it will be no. Brett Kulak who is in the lineup tonight, uh, which, I mean, hey, it's of the alternative. I mean, I'm, well, I guess the only other alternative is... Alexander Romanov, but you know, people have uh, have rather seen uh, Brett Kulak out there than <laughs> the other guy who was out there, not John Gustafson, Merrill, but the yeah. other guy, Eric Gustafson. Yeah. Uh, so Brett Kulak is not, he is the lesser of the other evils, but he is still not Alexander Romanov, mm. who people would like to see in the lineup. But unfortunately, yeah, not tonight. So, Rick, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, as we said, They went back to Montreal for game three and four of the series earlier uh, in the week. Uh, They head back to Montreal again for game six. This time it's a little bit different because there's going to be fans in attendance for game six of that series. The first time that a team in Canada has allowed fans in the building for a game this season. So it is uh, it's it's wild. It's wild. 444 games 444. thereabouts. Uh, yep. 
that it's been uh, since March 2020 when the Cana- when the Canadians last had uh, fans at the Bell Centre. Um, it it is going to be different. 2,500 fans. They're going to be spread. They're going to be distanced uh, throughout the Bell Centre. Lower bowl, upper bowl, the 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 prices, um, yeah. On the secondary market, uh, are you know we we've seen up to eight and ten thousand uh, dollars have been ridiculous, uh, but it'll be it'll be great to have that that atmosphere, that real, uh, the 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 real authentic sound of well maybe not completely because the Canadians yeah. announced that they'll be mixing in some some can sound with the real yeah. sound, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, but if you watch that game last night with uh, Vegas in Vegas in the Minnesota Wild, uh, which they, I think they had 14,000 fans uh, yeah. there. And you realize the, the emotion that can help drive a team. Uh, towel waving last night in, in Vegas and, uh, it was wild, and uh, hopefully um, that will um, that the, the twenty five hundred fans will sound like a whole lot more than that and help build some emotion for the Canadians who will need it tonight in Game Six against the Leafs. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there might just be an effect of looking out into a crowd and actually seeing people. Like it, maybe not even the noise, but just seeing people out there wearing the jersey. You know that type of thing that you've grown accustomed to seeing every game that you've played for your entire life just seeing people in the arena i think might make a difference for these guys when they're at warm-up just to get sort of an atmosphere to feed off of so that'll be interesting it's going to be a a very interesting atmosphere for the game tonight of course it's it's game six three to two for the leafs right now so it's going to be an interesting atmosphere regardless so uh rick uh, i think we will have a habs prospect report this edition of the Rocket Report is brought to you by AHL.Report, your premier source for the Laval Rocket, the AHL affiliate of the Montreal Canadiens. AHL.Report is a proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. So, Rick, uh, this week, uh, the AHL announced that a pair of Laval Rocket players were named to the 2020-2021 Canadian Division All-Star Team. Yeah, the AHL is kind of wrapping up this season. Um, we know that that in all divisions except the Pacific, that uh, the Pacific is is running a kind of mini playoff, uh, and that will uh, that winner will be crowned this weekend. But the Laval Rocket were uh, the they're the division champs, and so the AHL is going around cleaning up and and naming the uh, All Star uh, team and and um, for the Canadian division. Uh, we have uh, both Caden Primo and Otto Leskinen named to the All-Star team. And we know um, we've talked uh, extensively about Caden Primo and, and he had uh, his one loss record was was very good um, and uh, certainly deserved, uh, deserving of, of being on the All-Star team. We haven't uh, really talked about Otto Leskinen, but um, he was he was the defenseman that, uh, Joel Bouchard uh, relied on most this season with Lavelle on the top pairing, and and uh, and sometimes when a new uh, defenseman would come in, uh, paired with Otto Leskinen to uh, uh, provide that stability, um, had 17 points in 33 games. Uh, we also saw him for one game up with the Montreal yeah. Canadiens. 
um, but uh, a, a very steady, um, uh, the kind of defenseman that uh, that you know what to expect. Um, uh, very solid in his own end. Uh, he, he was very effective moving the puck as well. So uh, great for Otto Leskinen to receive that kind of recognition. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, that's the kind of defenseman that every coach loves, the kind that you, you don't have to worry about. You know what you're going to get from him. That's the kind of player that every coach loves to have. So, uh, Rick, we should say that because, of course, as you mentioned, the season has come to an end in the A for the Laval Rocket, not all across the AHL, but for the Laval Rocket. So they've commenced sort of the offseason signing some players, uh, including a pair, uh, forward Cedric Debrousseau and defenseman Terrence Amorosa, and the latter of which perhaps being a little bit familiar for people who have followed the Laval Rocket this year. We saw Terrence Amoroso come in on a PTO, uh, so that's not a surprise. Uh, Cedric de Rousseau, um, uh, we d- he was uh, in the queue um, this past season and and was the top scorer, uh, an undrafted player, small on the smaller size. He's 21 years old, five uh, eight forward. Um, he had 42 goals and 78 points in 40 games with the Charlottetown Islanders this past season a plus 46 rating. Um, so uh, nice for the, the Canadians to to make this signing. Both, both of these signings are one-year, two-way AHL contracts, meaning two-way in the aspect that they can play either uh, with the Rocket or uh, the ECHL. Uh, and we know that the Canadians will have an ECHL affiliate in Trois-Rivières uh, next season. Absolutely. So it'll be good to have some players to play on that ECHL affiliate. Uh, <laughs> so, Rick, uh, we should also mention that the Canadians, there's going to be a deadline. And we talk about this every year. There's always some guys, the Canadians uh, have a deadline to sign uh, to NHL contracts. This year, you have three guys that on June 1st, the Montreal Canadiens will have to sign or either decide not to sign. Those three guys, Yoni Ikenen, Jacob Laguerre, and Karen Ruchinski. Uh, so... It's uh, an interesting one with those three guys. Of course, Ekanen is a, is a familiar name, one that you've heard, Laguerrier as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where the Canadians land with those three guys. Sign them all. I, I, you, yeah. see, you see uh, that uh, often said on, on Twitter uh, or social media in general, just, just sign them all. Um, more the merrier kind of thing. However, uh, we know yeah. that the Canadians have... Uh, a limited number of contracts, that being the limited number is 50. They have uh, signed uh, 48 players already, uh, Mark Bergevin, uh, and and there's going to be some changes with that with respect to uh, unrestricted free agents and, and restricted free agents. Uh, but uh, Mark Bergevin is going to want to leave himself a cushion as well. So um, this one's going to be interesting. Uh, Kieran Roshinsky, 2019 seventh round draft choice. Uh, probably on the outside looking in. Uh, Jacob Laguerriere played four games uh, with uh, the Laval Rocket this past season. I don't see him signing an ELC, but um, uh, maybe like the, the the two players we just mentioned, uh, may, maybe he signs an AHL contract. Yoni Ekinen, um, you know, he was a, a, a second round uh, prospect and and uh, and and highly thought of. Uh, yeah. Uh, his his uh, competitive. We we saw him um, at uh, the World Juniors and and his competitive uh, spirit was uh, off the charts. Uh, great uh, hockey IQ. 
uh, good in both ends of the ice, but he's run into some serious injury problems that have uh, slowed his development, including a major knee injury. Um, so um, that one is going to be curious to me to see whether the Canadians uh, will will set him free or whether they they uh, see him as uh, as now trying to regain his his development path after uh, his injury history. Yeah, it feels like we've been talking about that he's been around forever, the Montreal Canadiens organization. There's only a 2017 draft pick, so it hasn't been all that long. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, it's an interesting case with Yoni Ikenen, that's for sure. Uh, so Rick, we should mention uh, a Canadiens draft pick from the most recent NHL draft, Sean Farrell. Uh, his team, the Chicago Steel, won the USHL championship. We have a champion in the organization, and that is Sean yeah. Farrell. Uh, the USHL um, awards the Clark Cup every um, every season, and the Chicago Steel were runaway winners. Uh, they beat the Fargo Force uh, best of five series. They won that series ga- uh, three games to one. Um, and uh, Chicago also, they have two different cups uh, in the USHL, the Anderson Cup, that's for the regular season uh, title. Chicago won that and then winning the, uh, the Clark Cup. And uh, Sean F- uh, Farrell was um, an integral part of that. Um, he, he is the second player in uh, USHL history to break the 100-point mark. He had 29 goals and 72 assists for 101 points in 53 games. Um, so he is, uh, I mean, uh, we've mentioned him a couple of times on this show. He had a phenomenal season. Um, and, uh, um, I, I, I think the only thing I would, I would say now, uh, Sean Farrell, 19 years old, he's, um, five, nine, one seventy five, uh, undersized forward, um, fourth round pick of the, the 2020 entry draft. Um, I, I just, uh, a little bit of caution. We also we always talk about patience, and and he seems like a, a you know a phenomenal offensive forward, which the Canadians w- could certainly use. Absolutely. Uh, but l- this was in the USHL, mm-hmm. um, and if it weren't for the pandemic, uh, Sean Farrell would have been at Harvard. He was committed to Harvard uh, yes. to play NCAA hockey this past season. Didn't happen, so he was. Uh, probably playing in a league that uh, that he was too good for, um, yeah. and and he'll go to Harvard next year, and, and let's see how he competes, uh, let's see how his production is, uh, and uh, as he continues his um, his development path, uh, but a terrific season for him this year. Congratulations to him, and congratulations to the Chicago Steel. Absolutely, yeah, and and yeah, it's important, I think. When we see these numbers that get put up, and it happens with every player, you know, in junior hockey, you see the numbers put up and you just immediately get excited. You have to remember, this is very early on. This is not really the the highest level of competition that that these guys are going to face. So just be patient and see how it plays out. But nonetheless, congratulations to he and his teammates on that accomplishment. Uh, And Rick, uh, we should say, as we always do, to be sure to head uh, to read the content over at AHL.Report, head over there, and of course, listen and subscribe to the Press Zone Montreal podcast, a fascinating listen every week with Rick Stevens and Amy Johnson. Um, So Rick, uh, moving on to 
a very interesting discussion because we had the conversation about GMJJ last week. And GMJJ is uh, probably the smartest GM not in hockey at the moment. He might be hired. He might be hired. Who knows? As a general manager uh, for (laughs) one of the uh, 32 NHL teams. Uh, But Rick, uh, last week, JJ Watt said that he thought that Cole Caulfield should try into the lineup. We had the discussion about Cole Caulfield versus Yoel Armia and a, a few other names as well. Uh, Yasperi Kotkaniemi, Jake Evans, Eric Stahl had all sorts of discussions about that. Carey Price and Jake Allen was another one. This week we have one decision to discuss because it's really the only one left. It's really the only one at the moment that we, have, uh, we haven't seen a guy play, uh, and that is Alexander Romanov. And at this point, Rick, we were going to have two separate conversations, Alexander Romanov versus John Merrill and Eric Gustafson versus Brett Kulak. But at this point, that doesn't really make sense because John Merrill is going to be out for a week to two weeks. So at this point, it is essentially Alexander Romanov against the world. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't really seem to matter uh, who is in or out. Alexander Romanov does not feature into the plans for the Montreal Canadiens for this series. I think that that has been made clear because Brett Kulak draws in tonight. We already have seen Eric Gustafson play 10 minutes of a hockey game and not really make much sense of it. But regardless, we have not seen Alexander Romanoff. It's game six of the first round. Uh, Where's Alexander Romanoff? (laughs) This one is so curious. Um, It doesn't make any sense, particularly when you think back to putting it into context. You think back to to last uh, season, the last year in the bubble, and then uh, the playoffs in Toronto against uh, uh, the Flyers, uh, the bubble games against um, uh, the play-in round against uh, the Penguins. the Penguins. Um, And and there was uh, a, a restricted, a much more restricted lineup um, for those games, um, the the teams were were limited in the number of players they could bring into the bubble, and at that point there was a handful of players that we were questioning. Well, why was Josh Brook left off? Why was, and they brought in Alexander Romanov. Now everybody mm-hmm. knew Alexander Romanov wasn't eligible to play. The only reason he was there is to to soak up the environment. Uh, to uh, get into practices, uh, to understand what um, the playoffs were all about. Um, Because the plan was uh, to get him in for a regular season, and then he would have a bit of experience. He would have a bit of awareness uh, Mm -hmm. about what the playoff was going to be. So uh, with him playing 54 out of the 56 games, what was the point of, of going through that whole exercise last season, um, at, at last postseason, uh, to have Alexander Romanoff in the press box uh, mm-hmm. for every game so far in this, uh, in this playoff uh, year? It just doesn't make any sense. And to burn a year of his ELC to do so last year as well. So it just, it just, it adds to it in that way. But, but Rick, the one thing, and look, I was apprehensive, right? And we talked about it last week with Cole Caulfield. I was apprehensive about putting him into this environment because as we saw in game one, you saw the run that Josh Anderson took at, at Wayne Simmons. That's playoff hockey. And I was worried that, you know, after just 12 games of pro hockey experience, 
what is throwing Cole Caulfield into the fire like this? What is this going to accomplish? And since Cole Caulfield, he hasn't been perfect. He's been a young player. He's made mistakes. He's been, you know, roving around. He's an opportunist a little bit. He likes to score goals. So you'll see him, you know, at the blue line, ready to turn up the other way when the Canadians don't yet have the puck. But regardless, he's been in the right spots. He's used his shot. He's, you know, found ways to be effective. He assisted, had the defensively active stick to trigger that two-on-o with Nick Suzuki. He's found ways to be a key cog for the Canadians. Why have we not seen that with Alexander Romanov when he can raise the ceiling of that defensive core more than John Merrill, Eric Gustafson, and Brett Kulak? It is, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. I, I, I couldn't find the words last week, and I'm still struggling to find them <laughs> now. What is going on? Why are you not playing this guy? Because at worst, he does exactly what Eric Gustafson did in game four, or game five, excuse me and play 10 minutes and 32 seconds, and you rely on Ben Sherratt. At best, he raises your ceiling the way that Cole Caulfield has sort of raised the Canadian ceiling in terms of having a guy out there that is dangerous, that the team has to be aware of, the Toronto Maple Leafs have to be aware of when he's out on the ice. So why is the guy, as you said, that played 54 games for the Canadians, was one of the leading hitters on the team, I believe, what, second in hits on the Canadians this season, or at least he was near the end of the season. He was a guy that was a very physical player. He can move the puck, which, hey, that's a valuable thing to have. And he can also play power play minutes if you need him to, but maybe you don't want him to do that. Regardless, he's still capable of doing it. This is still a very confusing thing to me, as Rick, you pointed out. It is is just bizarre that we haven't seen him in the playoffs yet because I think what you're doing here is you're prolonging the inevitable, which is you don't know how a young player is going to react when he gets to the playoffs. You know, it could be great. It could be great. He could have very limited issue in terms of transitioning from regular season to playoff hockey, but the playoffs are a different animal. So if he comes back, if the Canadians are in the playoffs next year, somehow, if they're in the playoffs next year, you are prolonging that sort of anxiousness that might come from him playing in the playoffs. It's soaking up the atmosphere, as you, as you said it was when he was practicing with the team last year. You're prolonging that, and that could be to the detriment of Alexander Romanov in terms of his performance the next time the Canadians get back here. Well, we remember back to uh, Game 1 and... Um... And there was all kinds of talk about uh, from the Canadian side that we're going to war. Uh, we've got to be physical with the, yeah. the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and they came out and were very physical. But they were going to war without one of their, their most lethal physical weapons, and yeah. that being Alexander Romanov. And it, it, it didn't make sense then. Um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't really make sense now. Uh, but you mentioned Cole Caulfield, and and um, uh, and he he uh, wasn't in the lineup for the first two games, and um, uh, Dominic Ducharme was asked why 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 won't you bring in Cole Caulfield? Uh, at the very least, he can help with a Canadian's power play that was struggling. And his answer at that point was, "Listen, you can't you can't bring in a player uh, for one purpose." Um, and and uh, power plays, you, you can't count on getting a power play. You may only get, his answer was, you may only get 
one power play in a game. And then, um, you know, that then how are you going to use Cole Caulfield the rest of the game? That's what his answer was when asked mm-hmm. why Cole Caulfield uh, um, wasn't in the lineup. So we fast forward to uh, last game, and uh, he talked about uh, making the decision uh, to to leave uh, Romanoff on the bench on in the press box and bring in Eric Gustafson because he said uh, the power play is struggling and we need we desperately need Eric Gustafson for our power play. So there's no consistency in his answer. There's no. Yeah. Um, he, he he doesn't have a philosophy of 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 this. It's just kind of game to game, and he's making stuff up up as he goes along. And as you said, uh, it was just really ironic. Eric Gustafson played ten minutes. Um, he played one uh, shift on the power play. He had forty nine seconds, I believe, because the Canadians only got one power play mm-hmm. in Game Five. Exactly <laughs> the scenario that. Uh, Ducharme had talked about uh, with respect to Cole Caulfield. And the other part of it is Eric Gustafson hadn't practiced with the power play for weeks, for weeks. Um, He hadn't been part of of those repetitions. Um, So how effective could he have been on the power play in those those 49 seconds? Uh, The other part of it was, um, and, and yes, there was... Two decisions. You had Gustafson, you had Merrill in uh, ahead of Romanov. Merrill played even less, played a minute less, nine minutes and 18 mm-hmm. seconds. Um, and that third pairing, which was supposed to be Eric Gustafson and John Merrill, was only a third pairing in name only because they never played together. They never yeah. played together. They didn't have one shift together in game five. Uh, they were only uh, performing spot duty and it was left to uh, Ben Sherrod and Shea Weber to to be paired with them. Uh, in essence, they were uh, those two. Weber and Sherrod were almost double shifting uh, in order to cycle Gustafson and Merrill into the game. Uh, so that I mean, that isn't positive either. Putting more of a burden on Weber and Sherrod. So yeah. Sherrod played 28 minutes. Uh, Weber 27 minutes in that 61 minute game. Um, it 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 doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, so finally, uh, the question was put to uh, Dominic Ducharme: um, What is what is the reason? What does what does uh, uh, Alexander Romanov have to do? And and why why aren't you uh, putting him into the lineup? And he said, um, I won't go into detail on this subject, but I see. Uh, in a player's progression, four levels of an in, of intensity over the course of a se- of a season. Alexander Romanov has not mastered the fourth level. I uh, mastered the four levels. So uh, actually, we don't we don't know um, yeah. what level he's at. We really don't know. He said, raising your game to these four stages of intensity is something you have to learn. It's not easy to accomplish. And so he left that out there that, that uh, you know, um, kind of unspecified, un, kind of ambiguous. Um, and and I, I, I just have to ask, 
Um, what level of intensity has Dominic Ducharme as a head coach in the NHL uh, got to? Is 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 there four levels up for that as well? Because Dominic Ducharme has 38 games of NHL experience as a head coach. Yeah. And not a great record, 15 and 23. Yeah. <laughs> is is that proving inten- uh, intensity for the head coach? And yet he's judging uh, Romanoff that Romanoff isn't an intense player, isn't showing the fourth level or the third or wh- wherever level he's at, Whatever, isn't yeah. showing enough intensity to get in the lineup. I, you know, listen, we know that Dominic Ducharme is a poor communicator. We know that. We, it's been, we knew that coming in and it's been proven, but I, you know, maybe there's some rationale behind there that he's not able to articulate, uh, but none of this makes sense about Alexander Romanov. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, as you said, it's, it seems very vague and unspecified reasoning to leave Alexander Romanov out of the lineup and to cite intensity for a guy, by the way, as we talked about, was one of the guys that led the Canadians in hits this season was consistently a guy that, look, whatever happened out on the ice, we, we talked about it earlier this season. There was a stretch where Alexander Romanov was a bit anxious with the puck, looked a little bit like he was hanging on to it a little bit too long. But that's that's a young player finding their way. And the only way that they're going to find it is by playing games. And the only way that a guy is going to get used to playoff hockey is by playing playoff hockey. So it doesn't make any sense to cite this reason as being a, you know, a lack of intensity uh, to whatever degree it is, whether he thinks he's on the fourth level or the second or the third, wherever it exactly is that Dominic Ducharme thinks Alexander Romanov is on that scale. That is ridiculous. Um, but Rick, further to this, there was an article in CBC Sports that caught your eye. Martin Leclerc, and and um, listen, uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of subpar journalism out in 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 the mainstream media. But but this was something that, um, and I think I think that fans don't necessarily understand how much control that the Canadians have, and and what journalists do in order to justify uh, to the team having, um, you know, access. And we know, you know, there's no secret at all. Renault Lavoie is, is, the, is the, the go-to guy for the Canadians. Whenever they want to get out a message, uh, they know that Renault Lavoie will, will, uh, will just parrot whatever the organization says on the French side, Eric Ingalls on the English side. Um, and, um, but, but you had a lot of, of anger and a lot of, uh, confusion too, uh, about, um, this, this Romanov move, particularly in game five with Gustafson coming in, particularly, um, uh, we saw it even from, from, uh, Philadelphia Flyers fans in my timeline were saying, this is ridiculous, uh, yeah. Eric Gustafson was the worst defenseman on the worst defensive team in the National Hockey League this this season. Yep. Um, you had guys like Russ Cohen from Sportsology, uh, who uh, again he doesn't have a dog in the fight. Um, uh, he's not one of the Toronto um, you know centric kind of media. He's he he follows prospects and he knows he knows hockey and he was saying this is this is asinine this is this doesn't make any sense at all um so you had Martin Leclerc come out and was very critical of Habs fans 
um, saying that they're ready to tar and feather uh, Ducharme and and Bergevin without any justification. Uh, that they think that um, that uh, the the heads of the uh, uh, the of the Canadians have uh, are incompetent and they don't know. Um, but he said that's just ridiculous. And he went on to say that um, um, Romanov um, doesn't have the, the enough experience. He um, he pointed out that Romanov, in his mind, uh, was the same as Rasmus. The the case of Rasmus and Dean on the, uh, the 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 Toronto Maple Leafs side. Um, and he said uh, Sadine played uh, six minutes in, in game five and was responsible for two turnovers. Do you want that? That's what you're going to get from Romanov. Um, he acknowledged that, that uh, Sandine played nine games in the NHL this season, uh, but said that, you know, that didn't really matter, um, mm-hmm. that you're going to get the same thing given that Romanov played 54 games. Um, and then he talked about John Merrill. He said uh, he didn't notice uh, John Merrill in Game 5, so that's exactly what you want, uh, is you want a defenseman that you don't see. Well, the reason he didn't see John Merrill is because he played nine minutes and and, yeah. and had to be <laughs> bailed out by uh, uh, defensemen playing top pairs because they didn't trust Merrill and Gustafson enough to, to pair them together and play together. Yeah. And, and he must have missed... That, that first goal by uh, Zach Hyman with uh, John Merrill being completely useless, sitting in the back of, of the net, um, <laughs> had taken himself out of the play. Um, he, he, he said that he was on the ice for that goal, but he said he can't blame him for that. Um, anyway, it was, it was one of these articles where um, obviously trying to, to gain favor with the organization uh, and interestingly enough, it was uh, one of the few articles um, that Paul Wilson, the the PR guy for the Canadians, retweeted uh, mm-hmm. for Canadians to uh, to see. So um, it was about the situation, Alexander Romanov, uh, and it was filled with. I, I mean, there's there's just not a, a, a fact in it. <laughs> um, and uh, poor interpretation, and and uh, it, it's really sad. It's really, really sad that uh, when journalists grovel in order to gain favor with the organization, rather than just being open, just being honest, being just being just reporting the truth. Um, so that that's why it caught my eye this week. Yeah, and I mean, also look, and, and yeah, nine games for Sandine to Romanov's fifty-four. But Sandin also has a goal in the series. Like, he had a power play goal in game two. And look, I understand the, the turnovers, but Sandin is somebody that the Leafs covet because he is their top-rated defensive prospect or one of their top-rated defensive prospects. So they're playing him in spite of the fact that he's turning the puck over. Obviously, he's not playing tonight. They decided to go with Dermott instead. But he's played four games. He's played four playoff games. And he's got a goal in one of them. Maybe playing young guys, yeah, you're going to have to take some bad with the good, but there's going to be good, and there's a higher chance that they're going to raise your ceiling, and especially for Romanoff against the likes of John Merrill and Eric Gustafson and Brett Kulak. So Do yeah, we it's, think it's that just Merrill, ridiculous that we're having this conversation. Let me just ask you, uh, sorry to interrupt there, but let me just ask you to just uh, piggyback on that. Could Romanoff handle 
nine minutes and 18 seconds paired with Weber or Sherratt, uh, because that's all you got from Merrill last game. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous that we're having this conversation for a guy that, yeah, as we've said multiple times, he played 54 games this season. Like, why are you not playing this guy? It's 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 insane. Um, Rick, we're going to move on. We're going to move on. Uh, We got some hockey news to get to. Owen Power uh, is at the top of the uh, central scouting and draft rankings for North American skaters. So uh, that that's something that we've touched on in, in sort of past episodes. We talked about the draft and, and and the prospects that are coming up. And Owen Power did not have a, you know, um, a sort of a convincing grasp of that first overall spot. Uh, but for North American skaters, he is the uh, he is the top. Owen Power uh, played at Michigan NCAA hockey. Uh, he's a, a, a towering defenseman, six foot six, um, and he had uh, three goals and thirteen assists in, um, uh, for sixteen points in twenty six games. Uh, this was his uh, freshman season, um, and uh, uh, he. We were expecting, to, or we remembered to see him at the World Juniors. Uh, yeah. But he wasn't given leave. He wasn't given permission by his uh, Michigan coach uh, to do that. Um, but he is playing for Team Canada at the 2021 World uh, Championships, although that's not going <laughs> terribly not going well great. at that moment. Yeah. Not Owen Powers' fault. Um, nope. But with the central scouting uh, rankings, um, Owen Powers at the top uh, for North American skaters. Yes. Um, and we see other from we, Mason McTavish uh, from uh, Peterborough in the OHL uh, slots in at number two. Kent Johnson, uh, another um, uh, this a center from Michigan at number three. And Luke Hughes, uh, mm. the first American, another Hughes, another one, another Hughes brother. Yeah. Uh, from the U.S. development team uh, in at fourth so far um, on the um, international side. It's William Eklund uh, from Jurgarden. Um, he's uh, the central scouting splits uh, North American, international. William Eklund uh, on the international side. Um, so we're we're going to start to see these these rankings coming out. Uh, that uh, well, it's 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 upon us because the. Uh, the lottery, the draft lottery, is uh, coming up this week, uh, June second, yeah. uh, and uh, of course the draft uh, scheduled for uh, July. So um, we're going to start talking about uh, the draft, and uh, dra- and then we we're going to have the the expansion draft. Uh, things are yeah. going to start happening quickly uh, as these playoffs go along. Yeah, and it's uh, always a very interesting time of year, the NHL draft, and it's going to be made even more so, of course, as you mentioned, an expansion draft as well. So the offseason is going to get uh, pretty crazy uh, in the NHL. Uh, Rick, speaking of pretty crazy, uh, things that you would perhaps not expect to have ever seen happen, uh, Patrick Waugh and Mario Tremblay uh, renew acquaintances in a commercial for Uber Eats, proving my theory once again that food can bring anybody together. How can you argue with that? I mean, how it's can you argue with that? It's a good theory. It's a good theory. <laughs> Patrick Waugh and Mario Tremblay. Um, yeah. Since December 2nd, 1995, all this time has gone by and they haven't spoken. And and 
We know what happened. Everybody knows what happened. We've seen it a number of times. Um, the Canadians versus uh, Detroit Red Wings. Patrick Wine goal. Uh, Mario Tremblay behind the bench. Uh, Patrick Wah left in for nine goals of an 11-1 uh, defeat at home. And uh, Patrick Wah, he raises his arms in the the, the air like, yeah. come on already. Uh, fans are mock cheering. And then when, uh, after the ninth goal, the torture's finally over and um, Patrick Waugh come to, comes to the bench and there's that stare uh, as Patrick Waugh goes past Mario Tremblay um, and, and twice, actually. Um, yeah. And uh, as, as he goes uh, to, to the owner's box to say that was it, that was his last game in the NHL. Uh, sorry, in the in, for the Canadians, uh, yeah. and then of course he that uh, that botched trade uh, that sent him to Colorado. So all this time has passed, and um, Uber Eats phones up and says, uh, "You guys interested in doing a commercial together?" Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to wow. know what the conversation was. I want to know what that conversation was. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bold, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could it could have got pretty heated there. I mean, you could have two guys that are a little bit raw on the subject. So, <laughs> well, and you know, you forget that um, in the in the playing days, Patrick Waugh and Mario Tremblay were roommates. Uh, Patrick Waugh is the young, uh, you know, the the young up and coming goaltender. Uh, Mario Tremblay, the grizzled veteran, they were they were roommates and and yeah. friends. Um, you know, up until that point, uh, now both are, you know, spend a lot of time in Florida. They, they kind of see each other at the golf course and turn the other way. Uh, but the brought together through this commercial and the commercial, you have to take a look at it's, yeah, it's the it's, two of them playing bubble hockey, rod hockey, and, and it's brilliantly put together, uh, including, a a nine, one, uh, up on the score clock, the, the famous Patrick Waugh wink, um, it was, yeah. I thought it was, it was very cleverly done. A, a great ad. And, it, but this is the thing is, uh, is it's a Ted bird at man of bird on Twitter points out, uh, there's an English version and a French version of this ad. The English version doesn't include a quip at the end is sort of the punchline of the ad, which after the nine one Mario Tremblay says, Pat, you should pull your goalie. And Patrick Waugh says, I think he's good for two more championships. So I'm not sure why that didn't get the didn't pass the, the cutting room on the uh, on the English version. But regardless, it's a it's a great it's a great quip and a great ad. And, yeah, it's great to see those two uh, back together again. So very fun. Uh, very good. Very good, Rick. So uh, we're going to take our first break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to dive into this series so far and talk about how the Canadians have measured up through five games against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So stay with us here on the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. 
In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the Laval Rocket more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. And welcome back to the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Joe Whalen. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Whalen 19. And with me in studio is the president and founder of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. You can follow him at All Habs on Twitter. And you can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. So, Rick, we've seen five games of this best of seven series between the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, heading into this series, not many had uh, had picked the Montreal Canadiens to win because the Leafs uh, figure to be a team that will contend for a Stanley Cup or that was the thought process heading into the playoffs. I'm not sure how much uh, opinion has really changed on the Leafs and the wins that they have. They've looked much, much better than the Canadians, even in some of the losses, they've looked better than the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, so with that. I mean, where have the Canadians measured up to the Leafs? Where have they fallen short? That's going to be the conversation for this segment, for our big topic segment. Do the Canadians measure up? And this is a conversation that can start here. And whatever happens tonight or in this series in general, this is a conversation where you're going to be competing against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're going to be competing against teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs when things get back to the original, the uh, normal divisional alignments. So it's where do the Canadians measure up uh, generally, I think, is a conversation that we could probably start to have as well. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I, 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 when, you, when you go around and you look at predictions, uh, the Canadians, I, I, don't, I don't know anyone. Um, yeah. uh, well, I should say um, Ben, um, our, our Habs uh, fan forum on, yeah. uh, on YouTube. Uh, ben puts out a fan reaction video every week, and you want to go to, to uh, our All Habs um, uh, YouTube page and take a look at that. And, and Ben had confidence that uh, that the team, um, the Canadians, would pull together in seven games, um, and, and that could still happen. That could still uh, happen. But as you look around the the pundits and the analysts, um, there's nobody that picked the, the Canadians. Um, but how do the Canadians, if we look um, category by category, how, how have the Canadians measured up? Um, and obviously, uh, the only, the only um, category where the 
where where the Canadians have a chance to to uh, to be dominant. Uh, that's in the goaltending category. So that probably is is a good place to start, I think. Yeah, and if you don't take our words for it, take Jason Spezza's, who's, who he said Carey Price is the goaltender of this generation. He is as good as it gets. He is the guy that stole game one for the Montreal Canadiens, made the save of the playoffs on Spezza, so he's got good reason to say it, <laughs> made the save of the playoffs on Jason Spezza with that ridiculous paddle save. He has been incredible. He has been absolutely incredible. Unbelievable. Choose your superlative. He has been it. He is as good as it gets. He's given Montreal a chance to win games that they have no business winning. And, and quite frankly, this series should be over. This should not even be continuing to go. This should be done. This should have been done in four or five games. Carey Price is the reason that it's not because he has just been that good. Um, and yeah, when you talk about you know, there's a, there's a conversation that's starting to happen about Connor McDavid and Edmonton about the way that, you know, his superb season numbers, putting up numbers that we haven't seen in, in so many, many years was uh, was not, you know, taken advantage of by the Edmonton Oilers. That's that's been Carey Price's reality for 10 years. That's been Carey Price. That's what he's had to do. He has had to play like a god. He has had to play with and very little support in front of him. And not much has changed in that regard. There's been guys, the actors have changed, the characters have changed, but Carey Price is the constant, and Carey Price is the only reason why the Canadians are here right now. And Jack Campbell on the other end, as Spezza said in that same in that same comment on Carey Price, said Jack Campbell's been consistent and steady. And that's about as good as you could hope for to get from your goaltender when you're going up against Carey Price. You just want him to be steady. And for the Leafs, I think that they've been they've been happy with the way that Jack Campbell has performed. But obviously, in this one area, this is where Montreal has the distinct advantage. Yeah, um, it, it's funny because um, James Myrtle, uh, I'd say an obvious Leafs partisan. And, yes. and in a, a, yeah. an article he was describing uh, after game five, describing this series, and uh, one of his lines was uh, that that Jack Campbell is outplaying Carey Price, <laughs> and I, I mean it's okay if 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 you put on your your um, you know your blinders and you look at save percentage and goals against, but that have that has pretty well very little to do with how the do, two goaltenders are playing. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that um, that crazy miraculous save on on Jason Spezza. Uh, and that paddle save makes you forget about the unbelievable blocker save. Uh, that yeah. that that was that was the save of of uh, the season. And then Carey Price did one better with uh, uh, with the the save on Spezza. But there's there's just the uh, the the odd man rushes that Toronto has had, uh, the breakaways that he saved, the point blank shots. It's been one after another. The quality of the shots, obviously. Uh, favor the uh, the Leafs, um, and it's been Carey Price who has stolen. Um, I, uh, I I think it's obvious. Carey Price has has uh, been responsible for the two wins that the Canadians have in this series. Um, Mike uh, Kelly um, uh, does statistics for the NHL Network and for others, and and um, uh, 
you know, he talks about the, the, the Canadians have kind of gone toe to toe with the Leafs on um, on rush chances, but that that the Leafs have absolutely demolished uh, the Canadians uh, when it comes to cycle chances, uh, and and the numbers are are just phenomenal. Um, and, and those are the kinds of, of, uh, chances that wear down a team because they require possession. They require good shot quality. They require the team fighting to, to get to those difficult spots. Um, and, and so it's, it's Carey Price after the, the team in front of him, uh, in front of him is fatigued at, uh, you know, be, being worn down by, by the Leaf cycle game. Uh, it's it's Carey Price that is keeping the team in it. When you look at um, shot attempts, Leafs 284, 20 ahead of, of the Habs, 264. Shots on goal, 162 to 144. Again, a 20, um, almost a 20-point uh, difference. Scoring chances. Uh, the Scoring chances, the Leafs have a 25 e- uh, scoring chance advantage. Um when you look at the number of goals from scoring chances, uh, the Leafs have 10, the Canadians have eight. So um, it's close in goals from scoring chances, yet the, the Leafs have uh, 25 more scoring chances. So that's saying that Carey Price is uh, obviously shutting down those scoring chances. Now you look at, uh, we've said before, I like to look at the, the high danger scoring chances. Uh, again, a 20, uh, 20 advantage for the Leafs, 60 to, uh, to 41. And yet the high danger goals are almost even at seven to six. Uh, so Carey Price has been the difference. That is, that's pretty obvious. Um, in addition to, to Jason Spezza, I thought um, Amy Johnson um, uh, po- posted this in our internal Slack group for Rocket yeah. Sports, and it was John Muse. Uh, who's, uh, uh, you know, kind of a journeyman goaltender um, who's uh, uh, played pro, played in, in the AHL, plays in Europe, but has has uh, uh, a fair bit of knowledge when it comes to goaltending. And, and his tweet was, I've watched uh, three Montreal Canadiens games this, ple- uh, this playoffs, and it's extremely clear that the people who think Carey Price is no longer elite have not watched a single Canadiens game. This team is a disaster in front of Carey Price, um, and and yes, unfortunately, uh, the team uh, has uh, underperformed, uh, and Carey Price has uh, lived up to to what he's done for the past seven years. Carey Price, with the second best goals against and save percentage over the past seven years uh, among goaltenders, and the worst. Uh, goal support during that time for any other uh, goaltender. Uh, Carey Price has done it all, and he's doing it again uh, this season and in trying to give his team a chance uh, to, to live longer, to, to have one more game uh, to, uh, to pull up their effort and, uh, and to contribute to the series. Yeah, and this week, just thinking about how earlier in the season there was all sorts of criticism about Carey Price and the way that he was performing and even some suggesting that he was the reason that Stefan Waite got fired. And, you know, like stuff like that, that really, when you think about it in retrospect, is just ridiculous. And, you know, I was thinking about it in the context of, you know, worrying about Carey Price is like worrying about the seasons changing. 
like you know like because every you know winter there might be a couple storms and you know you might have a, a different uh and and you know sort of miserable winter and things aren't going the way that you want but spring is always going to come spring is going to come and when it does your mood is going to be just a little bit better and carrie price is spring he comes around every year and you're like oh yeah this isn't too bad is it yeah carrie price is actually pretty good at hockey as it turns out isn't that isn't that fascinating to find out that carrie price the guy that gets paid what he gets paid to play big games raises the level even to a degree that you cannot you 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 can't fathom like that is what carrie price does every single year and it's not even yeah not even to say that what happened earlier in the season was his fault it wasn't there was so many issues going on in front of him that he just could not lift the team up but regardless uh, yeah, goaltending, you could probably check that off as being an advantage for the Montreal Canadiens, even though, yeah, there there are some that would like to believe that it's not the case. Uh, it very clearly has been because this series is over without Carey Price. I say that with the utmost certainty. This series would have been over if you had Jake Allen in the net for <laughs> this series. It isn't going past four games. Uh, it's just not, but... Regardless, Rick, we'll move on to forwards, because this is where, of course, the Maple Leafs have a distinct advantage, given their personnel. And, of course, we know that, that they haven't had John Tavares. That is a, we, we knew that after Game 1, the, and uh, great news this week. He was skating this week, which was great to see for 18 minutes, light skate, got in some work. That was great to see. But, of course, you still have the three-headed monster to deal with, with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and William Nylander, who, Willie Nylander, has been the thorn in the side of the Montreal Canadiens all series long. And his four goals in this series are more than Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, and Brendan Gallagher combined. They have one goal between the three of them, which I think if you told a Montreal Canadiens fan heading into this series that this series would go six games with those three combining for one goal, I don't think many would take that as being a, being an option, but here we are. It's in this, it's going to six games. The Canadians have not gotten the production, especially out of Gallagher uh, that you'd like to see. And of course we know that he's been dealing with the hand and we don't know how that's hampering him, uh, but it clearly is playing some type of a role. Uh, but regardless, Rick, not the type of production that you would like to see out of the Canadians forward group, uh, but but some have found ways to be effective. Especially when you stack it up against uh, against the Leafs and and uh, that's seven points for for Nylander. Yeah. Uh, in in five games, um, you haven't got uh, Marner and and Matthews going just yet, and and that could mm-hmm. still happen. Um, so um, yeah, I. You know, with with the Canadians, you, you look at at the, the 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 players that were leading them through uh, the regular season: um, uh, Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson. Um, they've been nowhere to be seen in in um, in the playoffs. Um, that what that so called first line of Phil Deneau and 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 uh, Thomas Tatar, and you mentioned Brendan Gallagher. Uh, not contributing at all, and and for Brendan Gallagher, it's a bit of a concern because we saw this last year as well, where yeah. where Brendan Gallagher uh, disappeared against Pittsburgh. Um, we only got uh, there was only points out of him in I believe it was Game Five um, after uh, Kirk Muller had had benched him for a third period. 
Um, Brendan Gallagher is, uh, the Canadians need him, especially in a, a physical, uh, series, especially when they need to get, uh, dirty goals. And we saw that it, it's not, um, the Canadians did get, uh, goals creating turnovers, uh, last game, uh, in game five. Uh, but it wasn't Brendan Gallagher. It wasn't Josh Anderson. It was it was uh, Joel Armia. It was Jesperi Kokkinemi. It was yeah. uh, Corey Perry uh, creating some uh, havoc uh, and creating turnovers. Um, so you know, I I I remember seeing uh, when all the discussion with Cole Caulfield was going on that uh, Canadians fans were screaming that that Joel Armia was in the lineup at all. Uh, yet yeah. it's Joel Armia who has been the Canadians' best forward. Uh, game in, game out for all five games and and leads them. Uh, not very, uh, only four points, yeah. two goals, two assists. But he has been, uh, hands down, the Canadians' uh, best forward and and uh, and good for Joel Armia. Uh, but uh, that means <laughs> that, that there's a group yeah. that aren't doing, that, that are, are essentially passengers. Uh, good news for Joel Armia, not... Great news for the Montreal Canadiens. And by the way, I just wanted to point out, I think it's funny because you said that Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews haven't really gotten rolling yet. They have four points. They would, they both have okay, four points. They right. would lead. But, but that's just to say that for, there's another level that they can get to. Right. They haven't gotten to it yet. That's scary. <laughs> but yes, as you pointed out, Yoel Armia, Jesperi Kotkaniemi, Corey Perry, Eric Stahl. I thought the Eric Stahl, uh, Perry, and uh, and and uh, Armia line looked good in, in Game Four. So it even looked again better again in Game Five. So yeah, they have not gotten the production that they need out of after Game One. I mean, Josh Anderson has not been effective. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, he's been a part of that Suzuki Toffoli uh, or Suzuki Caulfield Toffoli line that has generated offense, but. He hasn't gotten on the score sheet with a goal, and and you need that type of you need the goal scoring from him. They they are starved as it is, so they definitely need a little bit more out of Tyler Toffoli. But yeah, this is where the Leafs have the advantage, uh, even without John Tavares, and they're going to get Nick Foligno back probably tonight. So that's an even that's another guy that you add to that. So it's it's very much a disadvantage for the Leafs and to, or for the Canadians, excuse me. Uh, up front, the Leafs do have a considerable amount of firepower, and we knew that going into the series. So it was important heading in that the Canadians get production out of the guys that you would expect it from. That first line, the so-called first line, Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson, and another guy that you would have hoped to have seen a better effort from was on the back end. His name is Jeff Petrie. Uh, he has not been that guy. Uh, he has not been the guy that we saw in the early part of this season. And the Canadians have yet to get a point from a defenseman in this series, which uh, might contribute to why we were a little bit confused earlier on when we were talking about why Alexander Romanov hasn't gotten in there because, I mean, he's capable. He could perhaps, you know, pass up the ice, transition it. He's got a good shot anything really to get that number better than what it is because right now it's at zero and yeah uh, the Leafs have nine points from blue liners the Canadians with zero and I think the big part in that 
is Jeff Petrie because where else is the offense going to come from from the Canadians blue line you have Shea Weber who is dealing with his his thumb and we don't know if that's where it needs to be in terms of him being able to get off that patented one-timer he seems to be a little bit hesitant to do that though it was pointed out that he did so today in practice and then apologized to Jake Allen for it uh, but yeah Rick we we know what Jeff Petrie is because we've seen it over the last five years when he plays good, he looks like he's one of the best defensemen in the league. When he plays bad, he looks like the worst defenseman. <laughs> worst, like the bottom one, the bottom one in the NHL. And that's what he is right now, and it could not come at a worse time for the Canadians because it's not just the production that's not there. It's all over the ice. The defensive effort, everything, is not where you need it to be from Jeff Petrie and not where you generally need it to be from the from the Canadians blue line. And speaking of apologies, you said the, the apology went to Jake Allen. I have to apologize to Yoel Armia. I got excited and yeah. called him Joel. Ah, I'm yeah. sorry. Um, but uh, you know, the, the lack of production from that, uh, that forward group was just is galling. And, and the only thing I'll add to that is, um, when you superimpose, there's a, there was a, a, a clever chart out showing expected goals and possession, and it had both the Canadians and the Leafs on it. Um, and you have Yoel Armia, uh, who's kind of producing, but ahead of him on the Leafs side are Jason Spezza, uh, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Zach Hyman, Ilya Mikheyev, uh, mm-hmm. Wayne Simmons, Pierre Ingval. Um, you know, all of these are, uh, are contributing more with respect to, uh, which, which means that, that the Leafs, um, forwards are absolutely dominating, uh, the, the Canadians back to the defense. Um, I think, I think that much more is, is, was expected of, of just Jeff Petrie, particularly, um, you know, you look at the first half of the season, and on Twitter it was uh, Jeff Norris Petrie, um, yeah, and and that became silly pretty quick because he had a dreadful second half, and then that's carried into the playoffs. As you said, no points from Jeff Petrie, no points from any of the defensemen, uh, but even things like um, you know exiting the the when you look at zone exits, clean zone exits, or clean zone entries. Um, the, the Canadians defense isn't moving the puck very well. Um, and, uh, you know, again, when you, when you look at the analytics and, and you look at the, um, uh, the, the possession numbers, uh, for, for the Canadians, their best defenseman, and, and you mentioned it by, uh, by the eye test is, uh, Joel Edmondson and he is a Joel. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, um, uh, kudos to him. Um, he has, he has been as far as, as killing plays, um, and, and maintaining possession on his shifts. Uh, he has been the, the best of what the Canadians have on defense, yeah. which is not saying an awful lot, but he has been leading the d- defense core. And I think part of it too, for me was that, when Jeff Petrie has, you know, flubbed the play or hasn't been as effective as you'd like him to be, it's been Joel Edmondson that's been tasked with cleaning up some of the mess. So that was where I was coming from on that. But the yeah, it's the eye test. And then, as you, as you said, I mean, he has been somebody that they can rely on for some steady play, which, yeah, is, is not saying much for the Canadians blue line. But 
yeah, he's, he's the best of what they got. And, and, and you know, obviously, Sherratt and Weber with superhuman efforts in game five, playing the minutes that they played. But over the course of the series, I mean, you know, Ben Sherratt hasn't necessarily been there. Some undisciplined play as well from Ben Sherratt earlier in the series that you didn't necessarily like to see. And as I said, we don't know Weber's effectiveness perhaps being a little bit hampered by his thumb. So that's that's something to say there. But regardless, Rick, I think and, and when all, you can't yeah. when you can't roll six defensemen, when when yes. you essentially have yeah. four defensemen, <laughs> Uh, yeah. and, and that's a choice by, by Ducharme itself, then that's the reason that, that you get into these situations yes. where the Leafs just dominate as far as the, the psycho game goes. And coming in, you know, I saw lots of Habs fans uh, poking fun at the, at the Leafs defense, uh, mocking the Leafs defense. But uh, here's another category. As we go through the categories where the, the Leafs uh, defense has... Uh, has has done an effective job uh, limiting uh, Canadians' opportunities, uh, forcing shots to the outside, and making things pretty easy for Jack Campbell. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, it's and when you look at it too, I mean, and obviously two goals from Jake Muzzin. I don't know if he was the guy. You don't know <laughs> if he was the suspect you would have would have thought of for two goals for the Maple Leafs blue line. But we're here now. Uh, so, Rick, I think. The discussion that surrounds Jeff Petrie sort of lends itself, bleeds in nicely into a special teams conversation. Because when you look at the battle of the power plays in this series, and by the way, I mean, for all of the Leafs' talent heading into this series, the power play was something that had hampered them of late. And for the last half of the season, Toronto Maple Leafs fans, uh, believe it or not, it's it's hard to believe that they struggled as much as they did on the power play, but but they have struggled this year. It's it's sort of uh, it's it's bizarre, but we're here. Uh, regardless, the Canadians 0 for 14 in the in the playoffs on the power play. The Leafs three for 17. So neither power play clicking at a at a great rate. Uh, I mean seven what's 18 percent for the Leafs, which is you know that's a, that's all right. But regardless, I mean. The Canadians' power play has not been able uh, to sustain pressure. Um, and more often than not, when they get a power play, I think if you're a Habs fan, you're just hoping it doesn't kill any positive momentum that might have <laughs> been gained while playing five on five. You're not even hoping for a goal. You're just hoping it doesn't kill the momentum. <laughs> and that's, I think, the point that you're at with the Montreal Canadiens' power play. Uh, Dominic Ducharme was asked about the power play. And again, it, you know, you have to kind of read between the lines when he speaks. But he said something about uh, they've had good looks and that they have had 11 opportunities for shots. Now, I don't know if he was... And, and then he corrected, well, we, well, I'm not saying we've had 11 shots on goal on our power play. Uh, but we had 11 opportunities where we might have had... Boy, if if you're reaching that far, <laughs> the Canadians yeah. are terrible. The the Canadians power play has been terrible. And that expen extends back to the uh the regular season, you know, um, Alex Burroughs came in with with a, a formation with one idea and a clipboard and and uh, the power play worked for about a week and then teams adjusted to that and that's all Alex had. He didn't have anything yeah. else in his in his in his toolkit. Uh, and the, the power play has been dreadful. And, um, you know, certainly Ducharme was trying to to uh, say that, that 
that that it's on the verge of of breaking out. And let's hope that's the case. Let's hope yeah. that that with um, you know Eric Gustafson and and uh, certainly Cole Caulfield that, that that this power play can can do something because the Canadians badly need uh, to to rely on their. Uh, power play for contributions, but also, as you said, so that it isn't momentum killing. And you certainly don't want to have a power play that struggles. And a power play we've seen, I was talking about zone entries a minute ago, a power play that has trouble setting up. Um, And if that happens in the Bell Centre with even only 2,500 fans, the Canadians are going to hear it. They are going to hear it uh, from from the Bell Centre fans. Yeah, that is that is for sure. And, you know, the Leafs are, are very aggressive on the penalty kill and take away the time and space really quickly. And Mitch Marner is somebody that is relied upon to do that. And the dangerous part about the Leafs is that they can turn it back the other way. They got a guy like Mitch Marner out there. They can go back the other way and score on you shorthanded if you leave them the opportunity. So the Canadians simply need a power play that, uh, you know, operates at a higher level than it has to this point in the series on the opposite end with the penalty kill. I mean, it's, it seems, as I said, it's bizarre to think that the Toronto Maple Leafs would struggle on a power play with all the extra space, all the ice that they could use, all the skill that they have. The, I mean, Austin Matthews is a shooter. Yeah. Mitch Marner making plays and can shoot it himself. I mean, they're three for 17. They're at 18% about in, in the series, but I mean, the Canadians, They've been able to sort of limit, and Carey Price, I think, plays the biggest role in that. It seems like sometimes it isn't as threatening as you would think a Maple Leafs power play would be, and it's because you have Carey Price in there, and he sort of calms things down and just swallows up a puck, and they don't get any rebound opportunities. That's not always the case, but it's it's been largely the case on the, for the Leafs power play uh, to this point. Indeed. Um, so we'll just get to in the in the last couple of minutes here we have we'll yeah. just get um, we I, I think we'll give special teams to the Leafs as well um, yeah. <laughs> in terms of coaching um, and then in the intangibles I, I I don't think there's any uh, question that Dominic Ducharme has struggled he struggled with his decision making he struggled with his communication he's struggled even with the communication to players and. Um, and, and not having that experience to draw on Alex Burroughs, uh, limited resume, limited experience. I think, um, this has to go for Sheldon Keefe, Manny Milholdra and, yeah. and the, and the Leafs coaching staff. Yeah. And I've said earlier this week, I think this is a good opportunity. This would have been a great spot for Dominic Ducharme to have Kirk Muller to lean on, mm-hmm. right? Like that would have been a spot where you benefit from having him around and you could call up if you wanted to have Burroughs on the bench He could have taken Ducharme's spot, and you have Kirk Muller there as an experienced guy who's been through it as a player and as a coach. Um, It it just, yeah, again, it makes makes that firing a little bit more uh, confusing looking back on things. But, yeah, and then when intangibles come down to, I mean, whatever it is you want to say about uh, the Canadians, I think they do have an edge in terms of, uh, you know, Carey Price providing that sort of, we've talked about it, the stability, the sort of confidence that he gives his teammates, knowing that, you know, even if they do make a couple mistakes, they got a guy back there that, that can, that can make them a save when maybe they don't deserve it, but he's still capable of doing it. So leadership, I mean, he provides a steadying presence. Shea Weber, I think Perry has been a guy that they've relied on as well for that. I mean, 
Um, and, and on the Leafs side of it, I mean, I think they've got some veteran guys that have been through it, Joe Thornton and, and Jason Spezza. But um, I don't know, maybe leadership. I might I might give an edge to Montreal, but uh yeah, but, and I, yeah. Th- I think the effect that leadership has had, um, we know Nick Suzuki, um, after Game 5, spoke about uh, a, a team meeting, uh, and it was he, he spoke about the, the leaders and, and what they had to say, and that, that it was calming, but also motivating. Uh, he said that the players that spoke, the leaders that spoke, uh, were Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, uh, Shea Weber, and Carey Price. He identified those as the, the yeah. leaders of the team and that the ones that put them in a good frame of mind for uh, for game five. Uh, Perry and Stahl talking about these opportunities not coming along very often and that you had to take advantage of them. Um, as yeah. you said, the Leafs have have their share of veterans, too, and, and, and leaders. Um, you, you might give that edge to to the Canadians. Um, other intangibles, um, you might see injuries as an intangible, yeah. uh, Leafs have, have had more, uh, injuries, more significant injuries, um, yes. in the playoffs than, uh, than, than the Canadians have. Um, I think the, uh, the, the other intangible is going to be fans. Uh, the Canadians yeah. have a real opportunity here. Uh, with uh, Quebec allowing 2,500 fans in. Uh, we've seen how fans have affected the emotion uh, of other playoff series in the States, and uh, that could be a real um, kind of hidden intangible here. Well, uh, the, the, the Canadians fans will, will not be hidden. They'll be very vocal. They'll be but, there. But yeah. it, it will be uh, something that we didn't know uh, would factor into the series, but making it to Game 6... Um, those fans may may uh, uh, help the, help propel the Canadians as one of their intangibles. Absolutely. So, Rick, I will we'll wrap up this segment, this conversation. But regardless, I think this is a conversation that we start it now, and we maybe put a pin in it, and we come back to it at the end of this series, however it goes, because this is still going to ring true in whatever conversation you're having about Montreal stacking up with any of the league's best. So we can have this conversation again uh, in the off season. But Rick, uh, we will take our, our final break here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about playoff rituals, superstitions, other things like that. Stay with us here on the Canadians connection podcast on rocket sports radio. The Canadians connection is proud to be a partner of rocket sports media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites, Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends, show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. If you're a business owner looking for the perfect platform to reach a targeted audience of customers, Rocket Sports Media is the solution. 
Our global hockey community provides unmatched social media reach to an attentive demographic of sports and entertainment fans. We can provide visibility to your company, helping you to engage and leverage this prime group of potential clientele. In addition, we also offer sponsorship opportunities for fan events and featured areas of website content, giving you name and logo recognition. Visit rocketsportsmedia.com to contact us regarding this unique marketing opportunity. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. And welcome back to episode 138 of the Canadians Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. You can follow at Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at CanadiansConnection.com. Uh, Rick, uh, earlier in the show, off the top, you alluded to a change in your appearance that you made uh, earlier this week. What what game? After what game was it exactly that you made this change? <laughs> It was uh, it was before game five actually. Before game five. Yeah, okay. I I, th- I thought um, you know the Canadians had lost three straight. I thought we needed mm-hmm. uh, a, a bit to 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 change the momentum, change the fortune of the team. Uh, so the playoff beard that we had talked about last week and that I had been cultivating um, was taken off. Uh, taken I lost, off. Yeah, I lost the, pl- yeah. the playoff beard. Uh, and it seemed to work. Uh, it seemed to yeah. work fine. Yeah, um, yeah. It it had the desired effect. And um, uh, we were talking uh, in the in the pre-show about uh, about different rituals and about um, gear that we wear for the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your tried and true um, for both uh, the NBA and for for yes. NHL. Yeah, I go. I just go. The I I don't I don't deviate. I have the one and I stick with it. And when it's the when it's the Canadians, I'll wear a Carey Price jersey, and I did so for games one through three of the series. I wore the Carey Price jersey, and by the way, for the NBA, just to finish that, I wear the Kyle Lowry jersey during Raptors playoff games, and Kyle really every Lowry, Raptors really? game. That's, that's, Kyle Lowry, yeah, it's uh, weird I'm for shocked. me, isn't it? It is Un- unexpected, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but for for yeah, for the NHL, when the Canadians are in the playoffs, I'll toss on a Carey Price jersey. I did for games one through three, and Game one worked. Games two and three didn't. I was like, okay. So I just didn't wear any Habs gear for games four or five. Didn't work the first one. It worked the second one. So we'll stick with that uh, and just just watch the game and perhaps have a have a Habs mug or something like that or mm-hmm. something else that, uh, that, <laughs> that I have near me during the game. But just because, yeah, superstitions during playoff times, they're a little bit they're a little bit out there sometimes, but well, that's what I, we do as sports fans. Yeah, um, I I kind of have this this thing where I reach into the jersey yeah. drawer and um, try not you know I don't look I just pull out grab whatever comes out and so the Canadians have won when I've been wearing uh, Saka Koivu and mm-hmm. uh, Carey Price and they've yeah. lost when I the three games they lost it was Kovalev. 
uh, Higgins, which <laughs> uh, that goes back, and yeah. um, and uh, and a Roots Canadians uh, shirt. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm not sure what's going to come out tonight. Now we know from, uh, our dear friend Dino, who, who has been writing, uh, uh, ferociously this week, uh, (laughs) sending emails, uh, commenting, um, that he, wherever he goes, uh, that he wears his Habs jersey and he was out for groceries this week. And uh, on his way into the grocery store, uh, he passed a, uh, a, a fire truck that was that was parked right um, uh, at at uh, uh, the entrance. And he said that uh, all of a sudden, over the the loudspeaker, the very loud loudspeaker, he hears this gruff voice say, "Go Habs, go!" And <laughs> <laughs> recognizing his Habs. So he's as he said, Habs fans are everywhere, yeah. uh, and showing their love for the Montreal Canadiens. And there'll be twenty five hundred of them. Uh, appropriately uh, wearing their Habs jerseys, I bet, tonight at the Bell Center. Absolutely. We look forward to that. Game six going tonight. Uh, Game seven, if necessary, uh, a couple days from now on the 31st. That would be be Monday. Uh, So that'll be interesting to see. Uh, But, Rick, we should say happy Memorial Day weekend. Oh, yeah. To all of our friends in in the U.S., happy Memorial Day. Uh, Your start of... Of summer, and uh, as we said um, on Victoria Day, the Victoria Day weekend, have a great time. Uh, be safe, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the start of summer. Absolutely, enjoy responsibly, and uh, perhaps check out a round two action in the NHL that starts tonight. Boston and the New York Islanders. That is going to be, you know, there's a lot of conversation about Vegas and Colorado and Tampa mm-hmm. and, and Carolina. That series. That's going to be a fight. That is going oh, yeah. to be an absolute fight. Barry Trotz, uh, Barry Trotz coach team. I thought the Penguins were going to go on a deeper run this year. But Barry Trotz, man, Barry Trotz hockey teams in the playoffs are just different. So it's going to be interesting to see how that series starts tonight. But Rick, as we said, Canadians playing tonight as well. The all-important game six between the Habs and Leafs. So we'll look forward to that. And we'll be back next week discussing all things Montreal Canadiens, how this series shook out. Uh, We'll be back next week to discuss all that. So uh, we'll say goodbye for now. And thank you for tuning in to the Canadiens Connection podcast here on Rocket Sports Radio. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadiens Connection. Visit allhabs.net for breaking news about the Montreal Canadiens.